0: This episode of our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by Zapper. Zapper is one of the world's leading XR companies. Over the past 12 years, they've won numerous awards for memorable campaigns. They've democratized AR by making tools and SDKs that anyone can use. And they created Zapbox, the world's most affordable mixed reality headset. Most recently, Zapper worked with Unilever to create an enhanced QR code called Accessible QR which enables packaged goods to speak to the blind and partially sighted. If you're thinking XR, give the team at Zapper a call or visit zapper.com to see how they can help you on your XR journey. Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz and Roni Abovitz. It's Friday, February 9th, and it is This Week in XR, and I should say AI. There is so much news today, gentlemen. I have to talk fast.
1: Yeah, a ton of stuff, right? Yeah. Obviously, big, major outside of tech news on the Epic Apple deal. Significant.
0: Oh right? my gosh! Well, Matt, Disney has never invested this kind of money in games before, and what's more, they're not building it with their own Metaverse book, Metaverse division, which they killed last April. They're hiring a great game company to build yeah. their game universe.
2: Yeah, what's really interesting, guys, is—and I said this before the show—like Charlie and Ted the metaverse is back, baby, even though we don't want to call it that. With Apple dropping the Vision Pro and then Disney and, and Epic linking arms like this, it's like it's come back in full force. It's just not Mark Zuckerberg's face, which is pasted on it. It's some of the biggest companies to compete with them on the planet trying to do it their way, maybe better.
1: And Charlie, in your column this week, which everybody should read this week because there's just tons and tons of news. To Roni's point, what I was thinking about this morning is we have left the terminology behind and now all of these things that we understand around what we call, what we call the, the spatial computing universe, of course, Apple is one of those pieces that's grabbing a lot of that nomenclature is just bubbling up across all these different pieces and parts and industries and companies raising money and doing things linking to AI. Um, but as we expected in the world of mostly capitalism, they're all individual sort of things that are all going to leak together in a mesh just like the internet is now right it's a whole bunch of independent groups all trying to make a living survive thrive and it has a certain commonality to it but it's not can we
2: call it can we call it the spatial web i yeah. used that term over the years and when kevin kelly asked me about it i was like the spatial <laughs> web the spatial internet. it is the internet but it is becoming spatial and not just three dimensional spatial in in multiple forms and i think That's what's really interesting here, like kicking, screaming, like it or not, it's happening. And as much as it's like being lauded and hated, it's happening. Right. Disney's there. Apple's there. The wins are there. And it's awesome for all we do, guys.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Funding news this week. Uh, I love it when guys that we've been talking to on our show uh, have big news. Status Pro raises $20 million. If you remember, this is the company that makes NFL Pro Era, uh, which is one of the most popular VR sports simulations. Uh, and also, notably, it was started by Hawk Hawkins, a former NFL wide receiver, and t- Troy Jones. So, And the list of celebrities and pro athletes and team owners and moguls and famous rich people who have invested in this venture are too long to go into on this show.
1: Yeah. If you go back in time, we had them as guests on the show in fairly early stages of when they were releasing NFL Pro Era. It'd be interesting to go back to listen to that episode and then maybe bring them back Again, to discuss the trajectory and how they're doing and raising more capital, getting more users, pretty interesting.
0: Here's something that I talk about quite a lot, which is spatial photography and specifically Polycam, which allows you to basically take a 3D image of an object or a space using your smartphone camera. It's founded by two Ubiquiti 6 engineers. They did DisplayLand. Which was apparently wildly expensive and used way too much compute to be profitable and got sold off in pieces. They've done a terrific job here. And now they've got Chad Hurley, Adobe Ventures, and a bunch of other well known, well known investors putting in $18 million, which is a real amount of money.
1: Yeah, significant sum. Yeah. And that's a pretty popular category, the idea of using your phone, consumer devices to do these sort of lidar isk scans, right? And then build these spatial assets. That's a sector. That's not a company a company-based area.
0: I am a huge advocate of this because it is a completely new thing, but it's a familiar thing. It takes photography, but allows us to capture not just a flattened diversion of the world, but actually space around objects in in rooms. So there's relativity, it feels... Real The problem with it or photography by amateurs is that it takes a long time to make a scan, right? You're walking along the street and you can't say to your wife, hang on for a minute, I need to take a 10-minute scan. And believe me, I've I've tried that. It isn't practical, but they're using a technology called Gaussian splats to make that much easier because it needs less information to reconstruct the image, or I should say the place
2: it's like photography in the late 1800s early 1900s they used to hold the shutter open for 10 seconds and all that and it was very weird and cumbersome but you can imagine that this is all going to get reshaped particularly by people like apple that want spatial photography as a use case for things like spatial competing like in the vision pro yeah, but well, others will all jump all over it it's yeah. it is going to be the new way to do photography. Yeah. it feels alive so
0: excited so. i am so excited about that so here's another really interesting metaverse thing. There is a game services company. I don't know what you would call them, CAMB.ai. They just raised $4 million support side ventures. And what these guys do is they let you talk objects and spaces for 3D or spatial games into existence from a text prompt. So this is, if you remember our conversation with Alvin Graylin, this is talking the metaverse into existence. Yeah. Text to image, right? Text to creation. Text to 3D. And so, yeah, it's really pretty amazing. And and this was something, by the way, that Zuckerberg demoed in 2001. But so many things we found out later that it was baked. It was uh, a demo of an idea that was going nowhere inside of Meta. But here's a company that's really doing it. Mm -hmm. And they're backed by some big game companies. Here's one I know you want to talk about, Roni. Brilliant Labs, the company that makes the monocle which is a open source, uh, teeny tiny, three D monocle that you hold up to your eye to yeah, see so AI. a micro,
1: micro projector that projects.
0: Yeah, micro. and now they're turning it into a pair of glasses called Frames that are three hundred and forty nine dollars, and they take the sensors on the camera and interface it with AI, and now you have not only AI on your head but it knows where you are and what you're looking at.
2: Look, yeah. let's let's talk about them for a second and our friends at Humane, because they're both like renegade designers from Apple. And this is the kind of stuff that would be happening behind the scenes at Apple Design Lab. And they escaped and they got some funding as startups. But what I think of it is like, they're building concept cars that Meta and Amazon and Microsoft and Apple will actually then copy the best parts and launch and scale when the market's ready and the components are ready. Like, I love the idea of what they're doing, but it's got a 20-degree field of view. I can't imagine the battery is much it's longer just, than that. It's mass. just
0: there to give you text feedback on things that the AI... Uh... But it's got form factor right. Like, it is the mm-hmm.
3: form
2: factor we want, but you want the vision pro-experience in that form factor. And I think mm-hmm. that's the state of play. That is... That exactly sums up where we are. You want that form factor, that weight, but you want that to run eight hours a day with all of the cool stuff you get in a Vision Pro without having to wear like this 680 gram thing on your head. So at some point they fuse. These things have to come together. But in 2024, this is where we are.
1: So this is a, that's an interesting question, Ronnie, because I, I waffle on the fusing, right? there, are, There are days where I think absolutely everything comes together. And there are days like recently as using the Apple Vision Pro a lot now, like we did a a big Zoom meeting and four of us, there were about 80 people on it. Four of us were using our Apple Vision Pros and our avatars. The thing is heavy, but the whole conceptualization of how Apple has Appleified this space and made it a very Apple experience and been very smart, like on launch, you can do Zoom, right? Which is the most popular sort of use case for these enterprise meetings these days and teams and everything else. I'm wondering, and I'm I'm going to to do a coin flip on this right now, does it end up being two tracks that never fully fuse? That there's ultra lightweight, practical compute, tied to AI, contextual compute, where the Ray-Ban glasses are going with audio, but with video, but almost weightless, just like the glasses you're wearing now. And then there's a much more refined, fully immersive compute stack, compute system that's certainly lighter than we have now. But it still requires a certain geometry and a certain level of cover that will never just be glasses. I, I don't know the answer, but I, my, my leaning towards it is we all use, many of us use a big l- a monitor in our home for compute and we have a laptop, an iPad and a smartphone, right? And we, and yes, the smartphone has taken over a lot of our day to day, but not every single thing. So I'm curious if you trajectory one or the other.
2: Charlie, what do you think of that? all the way in?
0: I think it's clear that you're going to have a range of devices from a range of companies, just like we do with PCs. Right. And you're going to decide, do I want one that's got the newest NVIDIA card and a terabyte hard drive and a giant screen? Or do I want one that's really going to be pretty cheap and light and portable? Maybe won't do everything, but it's suited for my needs. So, of course, the world of wearables is going to evolve in that direction. Some of them will be spatial. Some of them will be better at AI. Some of them will be better at VR. Some will be better in enterprise contexts. So when we may not have a lot of head-to-head differentiation, it really may be just for specific things. I think that makes a lot of sense, Ted. From a user perspective, I want to wake up in the
2: morning, put something on and in theory, if you get this right, that's like my phone, my tablet, my PC, my television. And
0: it's your so, eyeglasses also.
2: And, and it's my eyeglasses. And it gives me supervision. And it's constantly adjusting. Right. It's going to take what, what you
0: th- do. It's going to take what you do every day and make it much better.
2: AI amplification, vision amplification, see through walls. But then I, I think there's going to be this like XR extreme, right? Like I'm going to, I want to do like super hyper immersive, I don't know, 12K something. And that's like going scuba diving. But they can't be like text on one, and only way to watch movies is on this big, heavy thing. Like I have to be able to do almost everything else, at least iPad, MacBook, phone, on this. And in a ninety gram,
0: bad, in a ninety gram form factor, as opposed to uh, six hundred grams,
2: 150, 150 is. But my bet is you can get to one hundred and fifty. That's distributed. That actually does all of that before twenty twenty eight. That's my bet if you know what you're doing
0: how much do you want to bet
2: i'll bet you guys
1: a large pepes pizza nice
0: okay I, i'm Best? betting that
1: it will be multiple devices that will achieve everything that you want rony but you're going to have a a full immersion device essentially the track that the apple's on does all those things really well in 2024 but the form factor is large and clunky and you can't yeah you know, we saw a guy driving in his tesla on it but that you're not going to wear that outside I uh, thought there was a kid running around the subway in New York, right? So it's starting to prove that you can do it in a mobile form factor like a smartphone, but very clunky. My but instinct me... is it's going to be you'll have a couple of things in your so bad.
0: This is a good segue because one of the topics I wanted to talk about, and Roni and I have been going back and forth on this week, is now that the Apple hype uh, is dying down a little bit, and it is, You're getting the naysayers. I think it reached peak hike with all these people driving Teslas, wearing the device. And there was one guy who had Casey Neistat riding a skateboard uh, while wearing the device. And of course, the Secretary of Transportation gets involved. Yeah, it's reaching the point of absurdity. But then again, Roni's criticism of the weight of it is a very substantial one. And he's not the only one saying that. And others are saying that it's Still pretty janky. It could be better in subsequent versions, but
1: it ain't all that. It ain't a the religious experience James Cameron was talking about. Look, here it is, right? I've been using it all last night. I've been using it in meetings. The weight is a the weight is a problem. It's a human problem. You have to figure out the kind of seat you're gonna sit in. The strap is the secondary strap works, takes some of the weight off. But I, I view this as a short-term problem. I view this as something that needs to get resolved, will get resolved. Just if you look back in the history of Apple, their form factors always get lighter. Think of the first laptops that Apple ever released and think about the, the MacBook Airs that we use now. I, I don't, and, and I have to tell you, I'm on the kind of, as I'm using it now on a pretty regular basis, I'm in that sort of religious experience mode where certainly I'm not going to use it for everything every day, but they've got so much right about it that my critiques about the battery and some of the other things and the challenges with weight are, I'm, I'm willing to forgive that because of how good they did on the OS and the overall experience. The, look, we can do a whole nother episode about this and we likely will be talking about this week over week little nuggets. But I think their focus on making it everything that most people, and I'm one of those most people, just like you and Ronnie are, and, and likely Shelby is too, does with their Mac every day, they put a version in that is worn. The texting works. Your email shows up. When you load up the device, if you're already in the Apple ecosystem, it just says, do you want to fire this thing up, connect it to your iPad or your iPhone, hold the cameras up. It links everything. Your Wi-Fi works. When I'm traveling, because I'm at a, a friend's house uh, this week in Vegas that I, because we're doing Super Bowl stuff, that I know I'm already on his Wi-Fi, the, the AVP already leaked and was on the Wi-Fi. It's the, the, the entire Apple experience, right? The movie stuff is astounding at how good it looks and how minority-reported it is. You put the screen up, you pull it back. If you're laying back on the couch, you deweight weight it, right? And, and you let it sit on your face. It is still heavy. It is still clunky. It gets hot, all those things. But overall, if you're a Mac lover, they took everything you love about your Mac and made it, as a very first-gen thing, pretty refined. The, the user experience of, How you touch, how you click, how you look at things, the stuff that they're developing as a a media enterprise with this thing, I think is exceptionally good. There's a lot to be learned about how much Apple puts in the, it's very Steve Jobs. It's the combination of hardware and software. It's not one or the other. And they live on almost an equal plane, right? That's always been the Apple approach is can't be like Windows. It can't be clunky. It can't have all these foibles. When it has a little problem, it's easy to figure out what that problem is and why it's happening. The stuff it does when it measures your eyes, when you loan it to somebody, the first thing it asks is double click the crown so it can adjust to your eyes. And then it does a little thing where it figures out what your face is, right? All of these things make it really special. I got to tell you guys, it's really special. Wow. Ted, one one last comment. We got to switch
2: to Caleb and Shelby. The totally agree with everything you're saying with one big caveat which i think all of apple's insane resources tens of billions of dollars thousands and thousands of people the one inexcusable thing i found was they stumbled their way in which wasn't that much stumbling because they saw what others did which we did move the weight off your head to the pocket the inexcusable design choice here was why the hell did you not move most of the weight to the pocket. Why are you giving the worst of both worlds? You're going to have a cable. You're really? going to have the damn thing in your pocket. Why did you leave 680 grams on the head? They could have skate. They could have made that 300. It would have been a beautiful experience, distributed properly. I 100% can be Gen 2. Will do that. Yeah. They won't make that mistake again. But I don't understand how Apple did so many things, but made the the decision to actually put the weight down below, which is the right decision, and then left so much weight on the head which is super confusing, which is like in my mind, wait for them to fix that, fix it now. Gen 2, just put all the damn compute on the pocket, and now this thing will be lightweight and everyone will love it. Everything you said will be true, minus the fact that it's like you're wearing like like this gigantic mm. thing on your head that weighs too much on your nose. That- there's
0: a there's another spatial computing company that did took that approach. I'm trying to remember their name.
1: <laughs> I 100% agree with you. With Again, with all those massive Apple design resources, why couldn't they figure out what many smaller VR companies have figured out is that the way to de-weight, if you got to put a lot of weight on the front, you put some weight on the back. They could have made this beautiful, crescent, very cantilevered, very cantilevered thing that would be modular so that when you were laying back, you could take it off and, and tether it. There would be different options. Already, there's third parties that are figuring out how to take the battery and put it on the back with a little tether. When you're like designing
2: it. an airplane without the rudder, like how did they? It's astounding to me. They got all of that with all their re because they're Apple. We can be critical, yeah. They and are this, supposed to not make that glaring mistake. Look, and, there, and, 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 and you know, they're gonna fix it. Gen 2, and, they'll, but,
0: call. by the way, being critical of Apple is newsworthy,
1: yeah. In a positive way. The device is remarkable, but it's Uh, not. I can't
0: can't wait to try it. I'm having such bad FOMO this whole conversation. (laughs) Before we get to uh, Caleb and Shelby, we have two related stories that uh, you guys can really comment on. Uh, First of all, I have been using Gemini, uh, which is now live and replaces Bard uh, in the Google ecosystem, and it is great at certain things. In a limited way, because they are trying to play by the rules. They're not stealing content from the New York Times. It refuses to tell you a lot of things or do a lot of things uh, because they're trying to stay between the lanes. And it feels like they're fighting with their hand tied behind their back. Yeah, I think this is powerful, but it's not as useful because you keep interrupting me with things that you can't do. So I don't know what what you guys think if you've used it. That's my impression so far.
1: Well, let me ask you this question for everybody here. Do you think there'll be a day within Gemini or all the other open AI use cases and all the different things where you have a choice to use the content restricted, ethically proper, we're not going to do anything that's what we believe is out of the bounds of someone else's intellectual IP, or you can do a microtransaction with every prompt and say, do it without infringing. Now let me pay you, $0.12, $0.50, $0.02, whatever, a microtransaction that will just instantly register to your account. And you can have the New York Times and Bloomberg and the Twin and and John Grisham's novels and, and Sarah Silverman's tropes of everything included. But there's a micropayment that gets linked to the blockchain and everybody gets paid.
0: So it's like the conversation we had with Gary Shapiro, the head of CES, because he used to be an intellectual property lawyer and he worked on Capitol Hill before he took over CES, I don't know, 30 years ago. But he had strong opinions about this. And he was involved back in the early days of cassette tapes and blank videotapes, right? Because this was the first time we could record and transfer content. And so the people who made uh, blank generic cassette tapes had to pay a royalty to the um, MPAA, which represents all of the record labels. So something you're suggesting, something like that with regard to using, you know, AI from all these different places that there'll be some kind of toll gate.
1: And people, I think, will pay it if it's only 20 bucks a month. They need it. They'll pay it or just as they need it. It's five cents. You want to get all the other stuff. If you didn't get the answer you want, pay it. Ultimately, it's the reality of if there's a business there, people need to figure out what the business is in some fashion and then it'll thrive. Yeah. Uh, good, good on Google,
0: but I think the throttle is going to hurt them for now. Yeah, we'll see. So here's a big story scammers steal $25 million using deepfakes. And just a little bit, I'll tell you the story real quickly because it's like Mission Impossible, right? In there's a, a financial firm in Hong Kong, and a guy gets an order to distribute $25 million to a bunch of miscellaneous bank accounts from his boss, and he balks, right? He's, That's crazy. Those, none of those accounts belongs to the company. And so the boss gets the CFO on a Zoom call with several other executives known to the employee. And the CFO basically was a jerk and said, go get it done. And so with his boss and all those other people on the call, he went and did it. And about five weeks later, they figured out that none of it was real. The guy had been totally scammed out of the money using apparently metaphysic, AIs that could fool
1: you in a certain context. Okay, so here's a very quick question for everybody here. Do all of you have an air gap safe word or safe phrase? Do you know what I mean? Roni, Charlie, you need an air gapped safe word or safe phrase for your family. It should actually probably be a phrase, not just a single word that has never touched the internet, that has never left your close circle of family's safety net. It's never used except in this case when you need to really prove that someone is really who they are.
0: That's so interesting. How do we I gotta, know that
1: you're not a TED AI telling us to do that? That's, yeah, that's why it can never be on the internet. Okay. Let's bring our guests in because that's, uh, a good, that's, that's, that's well you good You guys have been
0: so nice to hang out. There's just so much news and so much to talk about. And, and of course, you have that every week in your newsletter and your own podcast and videos. You have to pack all of the information about generative AI and cinematic AI into one week. And of course, not every not all weeks are created equal, but like this week, they tend to come in groups. There was a lot of news and we kept you guys waiting and I apologize for that. I, first of all, I want to say for those of you who don't know that uh, Caleb and Shelby, you will. Uh, they are not only just on the cutting edge of cinematic AI, but they come at it as experienced filmmakers, Caleb and Shelby were both working in the special effects industry on big movies. So these are technically proficient people, even perhaps gifted with technology. And they started this community to share what they're doing. These are the guys who did the Wes Anderson Star Wars. They did another Star Wars video. Speaking of deep fakes, which really looked like a Star we Wars are, movie.
1: We are we are fans beyond. So
0: And they've they've leveraged their community and the level of interest in the kind of work they're doing. They share it in a course. I've taken the course. I paid $800 out of my own pocket, and it was cheap for the knowledge that I got. They have Academy Award winners taking this course and just a, a great community. A lot of the people experimenting with this technology and companies experimenting with technology have a presence on Curious Refuge. So I would encourage everybody to go there. They have great contests. So many cinematic AI filmmakers, and really we're just making shorts and like student films. But the potential of this technology to take down Hollywood in a significant way should not be discounted and could happen much more quickly than people are saying. Now, I don't think Jeff Katzenberg's prediction of reducing the cost 90% is very realistic because you do have writers and actors and animators and all sorts of people who are going to do post-production, but we're going to see a lot more of these AI-driven tools thrashing their way into film production and really changing the workflows.
1: Right. So most people listen to this on audio and you nodded your head so vigorously when I talked about, we should start with that and then we'll go back and ask about a little bit of your background and how this all got started and your love and fanaticism about all things Wes Anderson and what you did. But start with the safe word, because from your perspective, uh, as bona fide experts in this world that are actually living in the world of creating deep fake stuff, you should hmm. talk about what we just talked about.
3: That's so funny because we introduced the safe word quite a long time ago now. Yeah. of the AI revolution, but.
4: Exactly. Yeah. My, my experiments with AI and storytelling I realized how easy it was to create digital clones and things like that and so I had to immediately call my mother and be like mom (laughs) if you ever hear a phone call a very convincing phone call that sounds like me assume it is not me and uh, we had to decide on a a word and if that word is spoken please send the money but anything else that's not me (laughs) So wow.
1: that's the basic concept is oh this is not something you need to
0: buy, it's just something you need no, to coordinate you need to with to your do. loved ones. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's a
1: safety net. Wow. That can never be what? can't share it on a text. You can't put it in any sort of internet world. It can't touch anything technological. It just has to be something human to human with your family, your kids, your very close relations. If something bad happens or even something really good happens and you're like, wow, this is super good, and you're like, wait a minute.
3: Is that yeah. them? Yeah, exactly. You just discuss that word together. Hopefully it's something you don't say often, but it's something you would know. Yeah, we have that. Look,
1: well, and you guys are now hit makers, I would say, in the, in the world of AI internet. You have created something that became viral sensations around The Hobbit and Star Wars and a few other things. Charlie and I passed it around. Roni and I passed all this stuff around. You, you are viral sensations based on what you've done. So maybe you want to go back and talk about that passion, how it all started, how people will find these things when you do a search for them or ask AI, how do I find a Wes Anderson AI parody? It's pretty easy to (laughs) find. The thing is, they're so good at what they do to mimic his unique quirky style, which I think transcends the AI part. It's just the storytelling, the farcical comedy of what you created is what makes it viral, not the technology.
4: That's my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. I think many people watch that project and they don't quite realize that it's artificial intelligence until maybe one or two watches of it. Man, and I got to say, Charlie, that intro was just tops. Thank you so much for that.
0: <laughs> thank you. No, I love you guys.
4: Oh, uh, we love you too. It's like- been great for our our circles to uh, overlap uh, over the last uh, half a year or so. But yeah, the story is really interesting. To Charlie's point, we have a background in visual effects education, empowering teams on traditional visual effects pipelines like Houdini, Nuke, Unreal Engine. And we were super interested in testing out these AI tools. I'm sure like you guys messing around with early iterations of Dolly and Mid Journey and Chad. And at first it was novel. It was
3: turn our chihuahua into a renaissance painting <laughs> no, <it's> cute <laughs> you know but when we first saw the harry potter Balenciaga videos when it was like oh wait this is more there's more to this. this is holding our attention this is telling a story how can we utilize this in creating maybe a trailer and so that was just the test and you just like with 20 hours on our patio you were like i'm gonna see what i can do with this
4: <laughs> yeah yeah and the idea for the wes anderson thing wes anderson was really popular at that time because he had his asteroid city movie coming out and so it was just at the forefront of my mind and so that was a wes anderson sci-fi thing i was like what if we paired wes anderson with the most recognizable sci-fi ip of all time right and put that together and it was surprisingly easy to put it together and what i mean by that is for the first time we were able to type in prompts and get a visual aesthetic that was photorealistic many of the shots you can't tell that they weren't just a still
0: Here's a question I was going to ask you from taking the course. The story Caleb is telling, he recreates in the first few lessons. And he shows you, I guess you were mimicking the experience you had coming up with the ideas for the short trailers or scenes that you were putting together. Yes, Was was that an accurate
4: statement that it was you were just recreating the story you, you just told? Yeah, like basically what happened is I was really curious. So this was an experiment because and, and the experiment had a few rules. The first rule was I couldn't use high-end visual effects software. So nothing that would require a lot of time to learn because I wanted to simulate what it would be like for the average creator to to step into this. And two was I wanted to use as much AI as possible. And so uh Charlie's talking about a breakdown video that we have where we talk about the Ideation and how we come up with the idea, and the actual idea itself came from artificial intelligence. I was asking AI, "Hey, what are your ideas?" And they gave me a list of ten ideas, and I picked one of them, and then let's create a shot list. And create the shot list, and we, we really tried to inject uh, AI into each part of the creative process. Now it's AI, right? So a big part of it is curation. Yeah, Shelby can talk to that. Having a ton of different creative outputs and selecting the right one for the storytelling process it's, it was a very transformative experience in those early days because I hadn't seen an AI trailer up to that point. And so it was very clear from that creative process that, oh, this is going to be a very big deal. And this is going to really dramatically change the way that we tell stories. And so... Can you guys talk a little bit about the the,
1: the tool journey, like the tools you used within Mid Journey, Dali, all the various flavors of object, Chat ChatGPT, like what, you don't have to I know you do a lot of this in the course, but maybe give people a, uh, a little excitement about why they should take the course. What, yeah, what, what it, were the things that you discovered along the way as how you built that thing?
3: What's interesting is I feel like that, that tool pipeline disrupts every week. I feel like it's constantly changing. Sure. So you want to start with talking about the Wes Anderson tools you used? Yeah,
4: absolutely. So that was back. Really, some of the big turning points were, was obviously ChatGPT4, which came out, I believe, like March of last year. And then we had MidJourney5, which came out, I think, early April. And so those two big innovations were big turning points in the world of AI. And those were the the core tools for generating the script and the visuals. And then we use some other tools like DID was really popular at that time. It's like the thing that does like the blinky head tilts and the voice was 11 labs. So type in text, get a realistic voice in return. They actually have incredible voice to voice modulation now. So you can convert any voice into any other voice, which is really interesting.
3: Which is funny because for our Barbenheimer trailer, we were using that through another tool, but now we can use Eleven Labs too. Yeah,
4: exactly. And so it's really funny. We have a, a video editor that helps us. He's just like a, a real muscular guy, but like he transformed his voice into sounding like Barbie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Margo. It was great. He's just in our office trying to muster his best Margo and it was so fun. I wish we would have got behind the scenes of that. <laughs>
4: It's very funny. But yeah, the tools, to, to Shelby's point, they change on a regular basis. And so what we try to do inside of our course, it's a four-week uh, experience where people basically go from not having any storytelling skills whatsoever. They learn about storytelling, AI, how it integrates into each aspect of the creative pipeline for that four-week experience. And we've had, like, incredible take- takeaways, people landing jobs. One guy I was talking to yesterday said he had three job offers and 24 hours <laughs> of posting. Assignment, which is amazing,
3: mm-hmm. and someone also in our our last podcast commented that they hired one of our students recently, and it's just that's incredible. That's really just like cool. commenting on it, saying thanks for everything. I've hired one of your students. That's amazing.
4: Yeah, but but I think the big value comes from the ongoing lesson updates. So yeah. when you join our program, you get ongoing lesson updates as new tools come out there's like a new blend feature in mid journey we're working on training to update it with that runway comes out with new tools we, we talk about that so that's very important because these tools are really changing really quickly and the the quality the the bar keeps getting raised week by week yeah. and so we try to empower everyone who's a part of the curious refuge community to uh, to stay at that high level which is really cool so well, that's how they find you guys right they got a curious refuge search for that or search for your names uh, or Wes
3: Star Wars, West Anderson Star Wars, though. <laughs> the <video there. laughs>
4: so fun story about Wes Anderson Star Wars. We were talking with a a trailer testing company. So they take concept trailers, rip reels, things like that, put it through audience testing to see what should get greenlit, what are some projects that, that look like they have some legs. And they were telling us that they actually took that trailer. And through it through audience testing, we didn't know this. And they said that trailer did better than any other trailer in 2023. <laughs> so <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, I think Disney should throw a lot of money to Wes Anderson to make Star Wars, because I would I would watch that. And I'd like to see money. that. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> you know, Disney has been doing that on the Disney Channel with Mickey Mouse and with Spider-Man. Uh, they've had a lot of different series that use a very stylized version. And really, they're allowing some incredibly stylized work. That very graphical animation with Mickey and Minnie Mouse. Wow. Of, co- of course, it's it's creating a new copyright and a new IP for them, but it also is actually working as enterta- as dramatic entertainment, which I find really interesting. And it suggests right. that there are going to be AI versions of certainly that kind of IP, and may and maybe franchise movies. I agree, and, and fan made franchise movies.
4: Yes, yeah, I both.
2: Oh, sorry, go, go on.
4: I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Charlie. And what's really interesting is whenever we look at some of the the projects and conversations that we've been a part of in, in terms of pop culture, we've we saw that Wes Anderson, for example, when our, mm. our stuff was going viral, his if you go to Google Trends for that time, he was at an all-time high in terms of popularity, which It came about three weeks before Asteroid City came out. And for the marketing team at Asteroid City is giving each other high fives because the best Anderson's the biggest thing in the the cultural conversation for a few weeks in in a critical marketing period. So I I think especially when we're talking about these fan-made trailers and and how it relates to IP, from what we've seen and from the studios reaching out to us, it seems like these fan-made projects are doing a lot of marketing for their bigger IP projects that they're putting out. Yeah. It's interesting. Can
2: it's, I see it, both. Like, really quick, Charlie. You go out 10 years, like you're living this and you're seeing where it's going. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine Hollywood looks at all like it does today? Because when I play with this stuff and I'm working on this stuff, I can't imagine what is exists at all like it is anymore. It feels like everyone's trying to say, yes, we're going to co opt and all that. But you go out 10 years, It's I don't think there's any barriers stopping like two people like you or a kid in a garage from basically. Outpacing a marvel, it seems like there's such a wave of change coming that is incomprehensible to the powers that be. That's my view, but how do you guys? You're you're sitting there looking at it, teaching people. What's your view?
3: Yeah, I think we've talked about how, like, once a week you get chills of like how disruptive some of these tools are. Of just like we've talked about this before, but like when you're in After Effects and there's a new update, and it's just like that happens once a year, and it's oh, this is really going to change my workflow and how I do things. You know, and you get that feeling maybe once a year. But then with these AI tools, it's just like sometimes multiple times a day because it's just so disruptive and so transformative. And and the fact that every month we're updating our course with like new lessons and oh, how does this new tool, are we going to use like Topaz for uprezzing? Are we going to use like Magnific? What are we, what's the tool for? It's constantly changing. And
4: Yeah. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. And and to your point, I, I don't think there's any chance that 10 years from now, Hollywood is going to look the same way. what did
3: you compare it to you were talking about cars oh the disney speaking of disney
4: yeah there's that the the scene from cars where the whole plot is there's a highway going by and there's radiator springs over here and the highway kind of circumvented radiator springs and the big point really is if hollywood doesn't embrace ai it's going to turn into radiator springs and what i mean by that is these tools to your point are so transformed whether it's the pre-visualization process, creating new worlds, creating characters that never existed. We've already been watching some very impressive tech demos of tools that create films automatically. And obviously, those are going to be really terrible in the beginning. But Mid Journey was really terrible about two years ago. These things are are going to absolutely continue to grow at an exponential rate, but what we found is core storytelling matters more than ever before, really, because you're going to get a lot of really boring, derivative uh, garbage, for lack of a better words, but really awesome stories that resonate with audiences are going to rise to the top. And so I think that's it.
1: And and for our listeners, I think what's interesting, there's definitely a very strong near-term historical perspective we can all reflect on called YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. So the democratization of tools creates a power base shift that at the beginning, nobody realizes how big it's going to be. And then there are early adopters like you that get a sense of how big the next shift is going to be. So go back in time a little bit to smartphones shooting video, the world being captured constantly and you get viral moments of things that literally cost nothing and generate massive amounts of advertiser income. Charlie bit my finger, the kid Ryan's toys doing toy reviews. Flash forward not all that long later, 10, 12 years, you have Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is one of the largest media enterprises by scale and scope on the planet outside of any existing Hollywood or big corporate ent- uh, enterprise um, dynamic, right? So while you're treading new ground technologically, you're not treading new ground in terms of the power shift that putting more tools in more people's hands allows to happen. And I would imagine that part of what you're teaching in your classes. there is no difference between you now and the biggest filmmakers on the planet. There are technological and stylistic differences. Like I'd love to talk for five minutes about what I refer to as AI gloss or chat GPT gloss. So we'll talk about that because I'm sure you've got a sense of that. But just that whole concept of when tools become democratic and almost cost free, Editorial, VFX, cameras, lighting, etc. The sensor, everything got better because the sensor got better. We, everybody was able to capture everything in a form factor that was shocking. And now we have a whole nother version of this that is shocking to a lot of people and terrifying to a lot of people. So maybe comment on that, and we'll talk for two minutes about AI gloss because I'm very curious
4: if you have a sense of that. Yeah, I think we see that fear all the time.
3: I'm just thinking of this quote I heard. It was like an interview with Sam Altman and Trevor Noah, and it was interesting because. Sam was talking about how I think it's gonna happen faster than we think and slower than we think. Like we don't undermine society has a way of sticking with what it's doing. And so it's it's going to take longer than we think, but it also is happening faster than we think. And that's interesting.
0: You know what's so interesting? The people who make the best films using this medium are filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Right. The reason you guys can, let's say, curate a Wes Anderson video is that you recognized the idea, you understood its potential, and then you found a way of presenting and editing what AI gave you to have a coherent point of view, to have a beginning and a middle and an end and an enticing hook. Now, you may not have written that hook, but you curated that hook. You created the context for that hook. And I look at the people who are winning Curious Refuge contests like Dave Clark, mutual friend, terrific filmmaker. And the reason he's so successful creating things with AI is because he is a terrific filmmaker. Because the guy has stories he wants to tell. Yeah, he may use AI to sell them. He may use AI to enhance them. But he created them.
4: Yeah.
0: And so I think we should be clear that the best AI content is going to be made by storytellers by cinematographers by production designers Directors. people coming in exactly oh, we've given yeah.
1: a much wider we, swath no, of people to do it right that's the thing that technology allows is yeah. where people get to enter into the arena now
3: exactly and i think like it's bringing people's creative what's the word like po- powers i don't know if you are here we're all learning ai together you're bringing us art direction skills you're like able to <clears> amplify <throat> your work a hundred times and it's it's still is putting you in a place to have the most incredible films and stories
4: we have an incredible story one woman who was in the very first session that we did which was back in june her name's amina and she lives in the middle east and she worked through a program put together a project did not have filmmaking experience before putting together these her projects and she had a lot of art direction skills and really showed a lot of potential. Anyways, fast forward, she ends up premiering her film at the Sony lot, which Charlie was at as well. She has agent representation now. Her artwork is alongside Banksy and Warhol this week at a a museum exhibit in Estonia. And I I think stories like that really embody what is happening. We truly are going to hear the best stories and see the best stories from the best storytellers, no matter where they live. And I think that's what's happening in the world of AI. It's very exciting. And I get that Which. Fundamentally changing the way that we tell stories and the locations that are central in that storytelling process, but I think it's a good thing for society.
1: Yeah,
3: so I know it's a wrap tough up question. Up Go ahead. I, I don't want power. to end
2: on this tough question, but I just want to ask one tough question, and then and then Ted land on a happy question on the AI
1: gloss. Yes. yeah, here,
2: here's the tough question on this: all these AI systems that you're referencing effectively have slurped up everyone's copyrights, and I'm trying to imagine. And then it, when you type in Wes Anderson or Star Wars, it all evokes someone else's copyrights basically right now without their permission. Now imagine all that's removed or all of a sudden they demand, just like with sampling and hip hop, it was like, yeah, it's amazing to sample Led Zeppelin and drop it into my song and it's a hit. And Led Zeppelin, no, you can't do that. I think that's all going to come to a crashing halt at some point. How do you see that affecting what you're doing? Because I think right now what people are doing is building on all the IP of the last hundred years. 1920s when copyrights ends. So that 100-year copyright tarball is sitting in all the AI big brains right now, whether it's mid-journey or open AI. Now, take that away and give the owners their rights. Everything changes again. So how, and I don't want to end on this, but I just want to get your take on that.
4: Yeah, I, I think number one, for example, to y'all's point about like Google and then Adobe, they're training their models on their own assets that they possess and those models are getting better and better. I can see a scenario where one year from now, Adobe's Firefly model, which is completely copyright free, is as good as MidJourney. I, I think that is likely going to happen. So I'm not too concerned about the long term viability of the quality. I think that there are some ways. So in our program, we we don't teach like as much. Oh, here's how to do a Wes Anderson thing. Type in this and you're creating a Wes Anderson film. It's more about thinking about the art direction that you're trying to pull off. And I think that's a much better way of thinking about artificial intelligence prompting for example suno mm-hmm. which is a music tool you type in a prompt get get a, a song it's hilarious so, <laughs> so highly recommend using it and the, the quality is really incredible they don't even allow you to type in artist prompts uh, similar to chat gpt the, the dolly inside of chat you can't type in and say i want let's say wes anderson or some other artist it mm-hmm. won't create those images so i think if we want to create the the Spotify version of this in the future, where, to your point earlier, you're getting a few pennies per generation directly sent to the artist. That's great. I, I think there would be a huge desire for that. And I, I think artists, studios would pay a lot of money to have the opportunity to do that. I think that it's one of those things that will have to be worked out. And the open source models are already incredible. And those are open source. Those aren't going anywhere now. And whether... We're not mid-journey is the one that's putting the their algorithm through that training. It doesn't really matter anymore because those open source models are now built and out there.
1: You make a really good point about the audio world, the music and spoken word and audio books world moving into microtransactions and living in various forms of streaming services as the main monetization tool. It used to be people would buy physical albums, cassettes, and so forth, 8-tracks and things like that. Obviously, all that went away there's and but what's interesting is obviously the entire business of that has shrunk the grown and shrunk in terms of Mm. the raw economics of people spending money on individual music so that microtransaction that's a good reference point i think i'll ask you guys goes
4: down oh you want to say something about that one quick thing and just to echo that point getty specifically is going down this road and testing microtransactions for ai generated imagery so the their catalog is sending royalties to the people that the content was trained on and runway yeah. just integrated with Getty. So there's definitely a through line of commercial video production to yeah. There's a trajectory,
1: trajectory that we're watching that kind of makes sense. And again, we have reference, we have the music world to references to how that changed. So yeah. that's good. This is a little bit of a technical rabbit hole. It's a, I don't know if this last thing will end on. Charlie might have a good wrap up question, but the thing that I recognize, and a lot of people recognize about anything that touches the GPT world is that up until fairly recently, and I still think mostly everything that you see from an image creation has what I would refer to as a waxy effect, like you wrapped all of the talent that you created or, or synthesized in cellophane and smoothed it out. Is there a technical reason that's happening as to how the computers process language and try and turn it into pictures do you think we're defeating it how do you defeat it because even in your work there's a waxy glossy look to things that looks like they're all made out of a a wax museum or something i don't know if you think about that clearly that's so funny
3: that's it's so true it's on everything you're right and i think not using it straight out of the generator to add to your film take it into photoshop add some grain really adjust the color but
4: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Magnific is a great tool for adding in extra details to your generations as well. But yeah, there's some post-processing things you can do, a lot of prompting things you can do. So images, it's a lot easier to not get so glossy with video. The problem is most video generators at this point that use artificial intelligence are native HD. They're giving you like a format that's 600 pixels tall Mm -hmm. and you have to upscale it to like 4K. And so when you do that, yeah. the AI is just, it it has no idea how to exactly. add pores whor- and textures. And so it's going to be glossy. Yeah. That's just a technical limitation that we have right now. But images, yeah. I don't think there's any reason why, especially if you're using it in a commercial context, you, there are tools out there that can add in all that rich detail.
3: Yeah. And we were talking with Dave, he was like, sometimes he goes frame by frame and
4: mm-hmm. adds. He's glossified. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: Depending on the shot. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I'm like, I need to try that. <laughs>
1: It's been
0: great having you guys on the show. Before we go, I just, first of all, Caleb, I've said this before, you have such an awesome radio voice. I would cast you, but, and it really helps the the course and and make the course engaging, but it also made for a great show today. So I want to thank you guys for coming on Curious Refuge, get their newsletter, listen to their podcast. I listen to a lot of cinematic AI podcasts. A bunch have cropped up. Yours is the best. There are great people on YouTube and sharing their knowledge. So it really is an exciting moment to be in this community and see it progress. Harding shot. Yes. AI is going to give the means of production to people who have always had their work mediated by commercial outlets. Uh, now, those commercial outlets are pretty sturdy gatekeepers. So a lot of crappy stuff doesn't get in for all of those of you outside of the industry uh, it really is Darwinian and the best of the species usually rise to the top. Um, I, but even having said that, all the crap will end up on social media. But the truly great stuff like Wes Anderson Star Wars is going to percolate to the surface. I think films no longer have to be a certain length. I think we're going to get into microtransactions for creators and Patreon and other ways of financing their work. And it ultimately, people all over the world are going to get the opportunity to be storytellers and true visual storytellers. I think that's really revolutionary. I think that's part of the great thing about the internet is how many people have risen out of poverty in the past 30 years, certainly in part due to that. Anyway, that's my parting shot. Thanks for listening, everybody. Ted, great to see you. I see Roni ran away. Caleb and Shelby, thanks again for coming on the
1: show. You guys were yeah. a great guest. I hope a lot of people listen to this. I think they'll get a lot out of it. War to cup. Have
3: a great Thank you all weekend. So much. This was awesome. Cheers. Cheers.
1: Bye bye.